Right before the service, I was reminded that I was here about a year and a half ago. I was one of your first outside speakers after uh, Brother Lunsford had left. And now here I am, one of your last. Uh, and in between, I've had a couple of invitations, but never quite had the clear day to come. But thinking of your becoming new pastor, I want to give you three pieces of advice. Okay, number one, he won't be what you anticipate. Now, the comfort is, neither will you be. I can remember when I've been at Faith now 25 years, and I can remember saying to my wife, one thing nice about going to Faith is there aren't weird people. (laughs) 25 years later, I don't think there are any normal there, you know, uh, and this is after 25 years. I'm reminded of Charles Jones when he said he, he stood with a, his girlfriend and she looked at him and she said, I understand you. And he thought, this is tremendous. She understands me. I better marry her now and learn to love her later. He said, but we weren't married very long and I found out she lied. Because all she said is, I don't understand you. I don't understand this. I don't understand that. And so he won't be what you anticipate. You won't be what he anticipate. Work it out. (laughs) Work it out. Uh, Pray it out. Live it out. And uh, you're going to find that it'll even be better than what you anticipate. But there will probably be some pretty decent adjustments that take place. The second... Uh, is that uh, when a man comes, you've been almost two years now without a pastor, or maybe been two years, but right at two years without a pastor, you're tired. And when he comes, you're going to have a tendency to say, here it is. Here it is. Now, he's also going to be tired because he's wrapping up a ministry. He's been there 16 years. He's wrapping up a ministry and making a move and getting his family together, he's tired. And so all of you need to just say, we're going to invest. We're going to invest. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, be uh, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And that word labor is work to the point of exhaustion. It has that kind of a connotation. And so just dig in with your new pastor and don't figure, okay, he's here now. I, I've been carrying this load and everything for two years. I can just relax. And then the third piece of advice is that the preaching gets better the closer you come to the front. The very best preaching is in the first four rows. From there on, it deteriorates. I, I'm not sure why. I have a couple of theories, but I, I'm not sure why. But do your pastor a favor and move forward. You can keep the same progression if you want. You know, if you just have to be behind so-and-so. You can keep that progression, but just everybody move up as much as they can and fill in on the, on the vacant spots there. 
and you'll find that the preaching will be much, much, much better. Uh, I talked about that at Faith just a little bit ago, and lo and behold, they took me up on it. I was shocked. First time they listened to me in 25 years. But <laughs> the next week, it was uh, pretty full up front, and it, uh, it really surprised me. Now, Shirley and I are always up within the first uh, pews, but I was really surprised because they actually listened. Okay, today as we come to this, we want to ponder some spiritual truths about identity and identity theft. And so what I want to do is tell you where I want to go so that you can help me get there. And what I want you to, I'm going to tell you what I want you to think, what I want you to feel, and what I want you to do. And that way you can kind of move with me through this and say, okay, am I thinking the right things? Am I feeling the right things? Am I preparing to do the right things? What I want you to think is of God's great love and his call to joyful, free, abundant life. What I want you to feel is the joy and victory of being a child of God. And of what I want you to do is draw near to the heart of God, responding to him in love, obeying him in a simple submission to his will. So that's what we're going to think. That's what we're going to feel. That's what we're going to do. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you'd fill with your spirit, that you'd speak to our hearts, each one, according to our needs. We thank you that you're the all-sufficient God, and we pray that you'd touch us. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the most common crimes in our culture is identity theft. Now, it might be as simple as Facebook hacks. I think I might hold a record for being uh, hacked on Facebook. Uh, it just seems like they, they just kind of come as a magnet to my Facebook page. Uh, but it might, it might be that simple, or it might be as serious as losing thousands of dollars. Now, how many here have ever been touched by identity theft of one kind or another? Okay, pretty good, pretty good smattering of people. Now, it's bad when somebody claims to be us. It's much worse when we don't really know who we are. And that's often the case. It's tragic when we don't know who we are spiritually, when we're kind of moving in a fog and we're not sure who we are spiritually. And it's important to be able to recognize the lies because we have a deep relationship with the truth in the word of God. We're not defined by what we did or what was done to us. Now, that's a very important statement we're going to come across that again in the message. We're not defined by what we did or what was done to us. When we define ourselves by what we did, good or ill, or what was done to us, we're opening ourselves for uh, really a disappointing life. We need to realize. Now, we've read the scripture uh, the First Corinthians uh, 6, 9 to 12, and we have that whole list of rather un, 
unattractive things that went on. And then he closed with, and such were some of you. But now you are washed, now you're sanctified, now you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Not what you did, not what was done to you, but now you're washed, now you're cleaned, now you're justified. We want to think for just a minute of a spectrum of Christianity. Uh, And uh, we're going to go from uh, good to bad. But as we do, I want you to really think very soberly and seriously, where am I? Not me, (laughs) you. Uh, You can think where I am too, but I'll tell you that's not too good. So uh, think about where you are. Uh, And so if we start at the top, it's those who are genuinely saved, and then let's go one step further, basically healthy. Genuinely saved and basically spiritually healthy. You can be saved and unhealthy, but being saved and basically healthy. Uh, I'm 77 years old, and God has blessed me with good health. Uh, Shirley and I still kayak, we still camp in tents and stuff, and uh, we're still able to do that, and I'm very, very thankful. Because, but it's not that, I, uh, that I'm just 77, but I'm 77 and basically healthy. Now, I may find out, as Brother Ralph did, I may find out tomorrow I got a tumor or something's going on inside me because that's one of the exciting things about being human. You think, you know, everything is going good and then you, you don't know what's running around inside of you. But the individual who's, who's saved and basically healthy, this is the individual who is attentive to God, deeply involved in spiritual transformation, because that's the whole thing. God is interesting us going through a spiritual transformation that begins at the time that we come to know Jesus as our Savior and then continues throughout our life. Involved in spiritual transformation, genuinely saved, attentive to God. They've realized that they're sinners. They've accepted the forgiveness of Christ. They're a child of God. They're growing in their spiritual life saved and basically healthy. The following three are labeled Christian, and a couple of them probably, another label that might be put on them would be backslidden. Backslidden. Uh, Talking to one, uh, I started in youth work, and I was talking to a, a young person one time, and I asked him if his mom was saved. And he said, I don't know. If she is, she backfired. <laughs> uh, he, he didn't know that the correct, correct terminology is backslidden. <laughs> he said, if she saved, he, she backfired. And so there are those who are saved, but they may be backslidden, or they may not really be saved. But you have a lukewarm Christian. Basically, these are individuals who are double-minded. They want to be uh, spiritual and still do unholy things. They think they are doing well spiritually, but God disagrees. And he talks about this in the book of Revelation. He said, you think everything is in good shape with you, 
but you don't realize that you're wretched and poor and naked and blind. And you need to really be touched. If we go down one from there, we have carnal Christians. These are individuals born again, but living more like an unsaved person than a believer. Uh, I had a fellow one time comment. uh, I was talking with him, and we found out that we knew the same person. And he told me where he worked, and I said, oh, do you know? And I uh, cited the fellow. And he looked at me, and I said, he's, he's a member of my church. And he looked at me, and he said, I never thought Bill was a churchman. Now, that meant that Bill wasn't living for the Lord at work. He said uh, he wasn't recognizable. He born again, and I think he was born again, but living in like an unsaved person, at least in certain environments. And then we have, if we go down one more step, we have the nominal Christian. Now, this individual claims to be born again, but spiritual things are minimum. Minimum. He goes to church, maybe Christmas, Easter, maybe more often than that. Maybe uh, maybe every time a saved relative comes to town, he goes to church then. But it's all minimums. What do I have to do? Uh, what, uh, what do I have to, what, what can I get by with? What's the minimum that I can get by with? If we go down one from there, and that one may also be in this category, but if we go down one from there, it's the individual who's lost. They may label themselves Christian because they're not Jewish or Hindu or something else, but they really never faced their personal sinfulness and the need of a savior or realizing their lostness have chosen to stay in that condition. They're lost. They don't know Christ. Now, as we look at things, and we're living in a generation, but that would be a different message, of identity confusion. And we have lost thinking that there are believers. We have believers thinking and acting like they're lost. We get people who go around and they, they don't realize who's boss. Or uh, you have people who sometimes they describe what's going on in their homes, and I say, who's the parent? You know, uh, when they're making decisions, who's the parent? Uh, when I was in youth work, I used to direct weeks of camp. And we had a week of camp, and one of the things that we had at camp was an obstacle course. And one of the things that we had in the obstacle course was a platform, and you swung off of a rope from the platform. And uh, a chummy little fellow uh, went off without holding onto the rope. Not recommended. Uh, Then he did it again. And the nurse came to me and said, "Uh, Jim, I think we should close down the obstacle course. So the manager and I talked about it and decided, look, if we start closing down everything in camp that a kid can get hurt on, we'd have to close camp down. But we will ban that kid from that activity. So we banned banned the kid from that activity, and the camp nurse came up to me that night because she'd been encouraging us to close down the obstacle course. And she asked what we decided, and I told her what we decided, and she said, Jim, I know your problem. And I said, oh. 
what's that? She said, you don't trust me as camp nurse. And I looked at her and said, oh, I do. It's camp director I don't trust you as. <laughs> See, I, because she needed to realize uh, who, you know, she was having an identity crisis. And we needed to straighten it out. Now, Satan steals your identity when you're defined by your past, either what you did or what was done to you. When you are defined by your past, Satan is stealing your identity. If you know the Lord Jesus, but you're uh, you're defining yourself by your past, what you did or what was done to you, Satan is is stealing your identity. Psalm uh, 25, 7, Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Psalm 103, 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far he's removed our transgressions from us. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 16, 11, You make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and destroy. I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. 1 John 5.4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. Now, Satan has three, uh, threefold plan. The first step, or the fir- his first line, his first uh, step, his first plan, is to get you to do it. There's something you ought not to do, and Satan's goal is to get you to do it. If he gets you to do it, his second plan is to keep you doing it. So get you to do it, step, that's plan one. Plan two, get you to keep doing it. But God convicts your heart. Okay, Satan's done for that? No, because he has plan three. His third plan, if you've done it, and he can't keep you, you've, you've done it, there's no question, you did it. You've, you've, you've sinned grievously, You're embarrassed, you're ashamed, you're guilty, but you're determined you're not going to do it again. You're not going to live in that. Okay, Satan has a third plan, and that plan is to get you to curl up in a fetal position and don't do anything for God from now on because you did that grievous sin or because that was done to you. Uh, you were molested or, or whatever it was, that it was, you're defining by what, was, uh, what you did or what was done to you. And so Satan wants you to get just curl up in a fetal position and not do anything at all for God, not because you don't want to, your heart longs for it, but because you did it. Okay, Jesus died to free us from all of those things. Now we see 
that Satan attempted to steal Jesus' identity in the temptation of Christ. In essence, he's saying, it's time to listen to me. That babe in the manger stuff hasn't gotten you very far. Work with me. Do some of the things that will really be impressive. I can get people to notice you. Let me influence your life and call the shots. My way is better than God's way. That's what Satan comes whispering. But Jesus knew who he is, and he knew who Satan is, and he knew the authority, the accuracy, and the sufficiency of the word of God. He wouldn't let the devil steal his identity. He was Jesus, the very Son of God, God come in the flesh. Eternity has entered history. And he wouldn't let Satan influence his life or call the shots. Now, Satan will steal one's identity by tricking the unbeliever into thinking he's a believer. It's not a matter of verbalizing. It's not a matter of intellectual assent. It's not realize, uh, we need to realize that there are three kinds of faith. This comes out of Kennedy uh, in Evangelism Explosion, but just a tremendous thing. He talks about three kinds of faith. There is intellectual faith. That's that we believe the right things. Now, if you grew up in a Bible-believing church, you probably have intellectual faith. You believe all of the right stuff. We could give you an exam. Was Jesus the Son of God? Did Jesus die? Did Jesus rise again? Uh, did Jesus come to forgive sins? And you, you believe all of the right stuff. Uh, anybody who says, well, I have always believed. Okay, what they're telling you is that they have intellectual faith. They've always believed the right thing. But intellectual faith is not redemption. The second kind of faith is, and I'd, I'd like a better word, but temporal faith. This is basically trusting God for the everyday things of life. Give us this day our daily bread. A child is sick. We pray for that child. The child gets better. Foxhole religion goes into this. All around you, people are dying. The blood's running down the hillside, and you pray, if there's a God, get me out of this. And God got you out. Or maybe it was some other type of thing like that. And God got you out of that. And you trust God for those everyday things of life. And that, that's good. But that's not saving faith. The third kind of faith is saving faith. That's where we come to the place where we realize we are sinners. We realize that Jesus is the only way of redemption, that there's no other way to be redeemed, and then cast ourselves fully on him and receive him as our Savior. That's saving faith. But we can believe the right thing and not be saved. We can trust God for the everyday things of life and not be saved. The question is, have we turned loose of everything else, realizing our need of a Savior 
and then embraced Jesus and allowed him to redeem us and become our Savior. Born-again people need to know who they are in Christ. They're loved. They're redeemed. They're forgiven. They're victorious. They're peaceful. They're hopeful. They're joyful. I think of Hosea. Uh, and Hosea is arguing with God, and he, his first thing is, God, how can you how can you put up with these people? These Jewish people are so sinful. And God says, I'm not putting up with them. I'm bringing in the Babylonians to mop up on them. That's paraphrased. Hosea then says, well, how can you use somebody worse than they are to punish them? And then... And he sits in his watchtower and awaits for God to speak. And God assures him all is going to be well. And then he says, though the fig tree doesn't blossom and the, uh, there's no, uh, nothing's going good, yet I'll rejoice in God my Savior while I wait for the calamity to come. So there's that peacefulness that comes and joyfulness, uh, holiness, that we're holy, we're bondservants of love. Romans six twelve to 14, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members of sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from, brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will not have dominion over you, since you're not under the law, but under grace. We need to hear the voice of Jesus. You are a treasured child of the Most High God. You know, you know, you're a treasured child of the Most High God. Satan tries to steal those things from us, to keep us from knowing who we are. And we can ask ourselves, why do I know how to repair a car but not know who I am? How do I know how to fix nutritious meals or manage a household but not know who I am? How can I use the latest technology in computers and phones but not know who I am? How can I get a four-point GPA but not know who I am? How can I know how to drive a car, fly an airplane, get anywhere in the world, but not know who I am? We need to know who we are in Christ. There was a lady that walked past a pet store window, and as she walks by, the parrot looked at her, and he said, you're ugly. You know, uh, and Satan is a liar. He's the, the father of lies, the accuser of the brothers, and he whispers in her eye, you're a loser. You know that. Now, the second day she walked by, the parrot looked at her, and she said, you're ugly. The third day, this really aggravated her, and she went in and talked to the proprietor, and the proprietor talked to the parrot. The fourth day as she walked by, she's really curious now because she knows that parrot's been talked to. And so she walks by, the parrot looked at her. Now the first day he said, you're ugly. 
The second day, he said, you're ugly. The third day, he said, you're ugly. Now, here we are the fourth day, and she's, he's been warned. What's he going to say? And as she walked by, the parrot looked at her and gave her a parody grin and said, you know. <laughs> you know. And that's what Satan does to us. He says, you know. You know who you are. You know you're a sinner. You're a loser. You know. You know who you are. You're a dirty, a drunk, an addict, a junkie, a pervert, a felon. You know. You're a loser, a failure. You're tainted. You're dirty. You're fat. You're ugly. You're lazy. You know. You're irreversibly stained, stupid, unloved. You know. You are alone, always have been and always will be. You know, it's just who you are. You know, you can't come to Christ, you're too dirty. You know, you can't have victory, you're bound by what you did or what was done to you. You know, you can only go so far spiritually. You know, it's important to have a relationship with the truth so that we can recognize those lies. What I do is not who I am. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Now, we need to ask ourselves, where are we in life? Where are we in life? Have we leveled out spiritually, or are we growing in abundant life? Are we defining ourselves by what we did, or what was done to us? Or are we defining ourselves by the awesomeness of God's forgiveness and the fact that he can build a glorious future on a forgiven past? And as we stand here on the, the threshold of a new year, uh, we need to give Satan a mandate. He's held us down long enough. It's time to be free. It's time to go on in God's love and accomplish God's purposes. A bit ago, I ran across as a mandate to Satan. Satan, take note and listen well. You will not conquer me I am linked to a sovereign and eternal power, and I have set my faith. You are extremely subtle, but I am on to your ways. You paraded as an angel of light, but I walk in a brighter light. Your days of deception are over with me. I won't be deceived, devoured, derailed, distorted, distracted, discouraged, or disillusioned by your schemes. Your vile influence will not, pass, will not pass the no trespassing sign on the gate of my heart. My life is off limits to you now. My doors are closed to you forever. You won't walk in, crawl in, slither in, sneak in, pry in, jump in, swim in, fly in, drive in, or barge into my life. I have a permanent guest who now lives inside and he cannot share this temple with you. Face it. Your days are numbered. 
your kingdom is doomed, your designs are dwindling, your evil is eroding, your devilishness dissolving, your deception diminishing, and your death is dying. Your victory party has been canceled, and soon your show will be over. You can't trap me with your schemes, soil me with your subtlety, or defeat me with your deception, because he who is in me is greater than you. So get off my property. It's time for us to move forward with God. Deanna had a rough upbringing and ended up in adult entertainment industry as a noted porn star and wanted to leave that life. She came to know the Lord and her life radically changed and she posted this for a couple of weeks on social media. She wrote, On May 20th, I will be graduating from Asbury Theological Seminary with my master's degree. I can't help but remember being on a porn set one day and one of the male performers looked at me and told me I'd never get out. This was the response of many actors, fans, journalists, and producers. I would not be able to have another life outside the sex industry. Well, after 10 years of that lie, I left in 2010. I'm here to say that my life looks nothing like what it used to when I was merely surviving. Now I am thriving, and not just because I'm getting a degree or have a great job, but because I have authentic relationship with God and others. Destructive habits have been replaced with healthy ones. Codependent relationships have been exchanged for interdependent relationships. Drugs and alcohol are no longer an option. Self-harm has been healed with love. My life is sweet and pure. I refuse to believe that lie I was told. What lie will you refuse to believe today? Deanna Spangler. We need to hear the voice of Jesus. If you're lost, Jesus is calling. You can be a child of God through faith in Jesus, you know. Confess your sinfulness and receive Jesus as the only Savior. If you're saved, you want to look, live, and love like Jesus, you know. You're a treasured child of the Most High God. You know. Know the truth. Jesus is the truth. John 8, 31, 32, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's go through this week, this month, this year, and the rest of our lives seeking to look, live, and love like Jesus. You know? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask that your spirit would touch our hearts. Oh, what we have in Christ. And yet we settle. We settle for being beat up by what we did or what was done to us. We settle for Satan's lies. 
when Jesus offers redemption and abundant life and freedom in Christ. We pray that you just take us, help us to place all of our confidence and love in you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.